the uh, theme for the uh, afternoon talk is the heart, the mind and the full embrace of both. Before uh, uh, exploring the theme with you this afternoon, just a uh, related but uh, general uh, a comment here. And just before uh, walking in a few minutes ago, I had a thought about our beloved uh, scientists. Um, time to time, in their pursuit of reality, I feel some compassion for them. Not much, frankly, but a little bit, and it doesn't last very long. And the uh, compassion which I feel is there is a genuine commitment by sincere uh, scientists, of course, to try to know the reality, to know what reality is. And the view appears to be made quite frequently that the reality is essentially material, that it's made up of, and we might speak of elements and uh, biology and DNA and genes and physics and <coughs> cells and all the languages uh, which are used. But the beloved uh, scientists, uh, bless them, have one huge immense problem to know reality, and that is consciousness keeps getting in the way. Every view of anything which is an object of interest requires the viewer. And the viewer has a perception. And consciousness and perception is in the view. And the poor scientists can't get the consciousness and the perception out. It's a big problem for the scientists. And all the efforts to exclude, minimise consciousness, minimise perceptions, take feelings and emotions out of reality and concentrate on the material is a very narrow view, in my view, of reality. Is it any wonder, like religion, Science is very patriarchal. 87% in the West of scientists are this male gender. We need a much more holistic view about what reality is, not an exclusive one, not one which keeps out our feeling and emotional life, not one which minimises the influence of consciousness and perception, but to say all of this is to be included in the experience of finding out what reality is all about. Okay. Critique of science is just finished. <laughs> Mind you, I could go on. I could warm up to this, but we've got other things to talk about today. A moment of compassion. A moment of compassion. <laughs> short-lived at the moment. All right. So here's the heart and mind uh, world now. 
we in the, the, these explorations and teachings we don't have to be concerned and it's precious this we don't have to be concerned with how the world started we don't have to be concerned when it started and all that kind of research which is interesting and generates our curiosity uh, there we don't have to try to explain what consciousness is we are conscious human beings we have the wonderful privilege and potency to bring consciousness to life we regard it as one of the important ingredients of life along with matter and that matter is confirmed through being conscious of it of course and there is a relationship of consciousness with matter and matter with consciousness and they mutually influence each other have to they mutually influence they are codependent they arise in connection uh, with each other and in all of this extraordinary field and wonder of existence we have it could be useful yeah, made though life is in its true reality indivisible do you understand indivisible can't be divided it can't be split up the mind does that it's indivisible but for everyday use with a certain practicality to it you and I are able to as it were point to and make some simple separations which could be helpful in our understanding and amongst the many of them I referred yesterday to body and mind and another would here would be heart and heart and mind and it's helpful and useful because in the knowing of ourselves in these teachings it is not a no mind tradition as we one might find it's not that we are trying to get out of our body and mind and transcend it to something other it's also not in the teaching but we can wake up to this dynamic of our life of our human existence our relationship and in a useful and practical way as i mentioned we can look at look at what is our relationship to the heart and mind and in these teachings which is a precious thing it is about the development of the mind it is about the development of the heart it is to expand the mind and expand the heart and some of us here some of you had the privilege of listening to you uh, over the days and elsewhere when you look at your quote unquote self when you look some will say of oneself quote unquote there that i am much more of a feeling person i cry easily have a lot more tears um my heart tends uh feeling heart uh, beats a lot i tend to feel things very very strongly there are other human uh, uh beings here and elsewhere of of course look at themselves men and women and say when i look at my life and 
how and where I am. I see with myself I'm much more a mind person. That my mind itself, a person may say, is very interested in knowledge, in information, uh, in the field of thought, and I'm less of a heart emotional person. Sometimes those who are more of the mind level get a very bad press from people in the heart. And remember, not so long ago, any book which had the word heart in the title was, gu- was guaranteed to sell a lot of copies. But it had the mind, oh no, the mind, the mind, etc. But in these teachings, there is a precious recognition and appreciation of the heart, the mind, the exploration of both, and the integration of both. It is not an anti-mind teaching. But then, for those with the good uh, mind, and all of us, we need a good mind and a good heart, those of a good, this quote-unquote the good here, those with a good mind, one core question to ask yourselves both here and elsewhere, and it's a profound question, what is worth knowing? What is worth knowing about? What is worth applying the mind to? What is worth reflecting upon? What is thought which is valid, useful and important, both for our own clarity and for our relationship with this world? And for that, you will need to be, as women and men on this earth, brutally honest. You're going to be so respectful to your mind, you're going to be extremely alert and careful about what you put into it. You're going to take care with your what you read, what you watch on YouTube, what information that comes from you from this merciless advertising industry which wants to convert you into customers. You're going to take, take care with all the superficiality of, of things. And one's being doesn't wish to, be, as the Buddha would comment it, doesn't wish to be, the strong word here, polluted by the inflows of information which we drown and suffocate in because there's no space left because we're just absorbing information, 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 information and that is robbing us of clarity, of insight and wisdom wisdom, because we've lost the capacity and we've lost the choice to say no. We need a different kind of renunciation as women and men on this earth. We need to have the capacity to be clear. This is worth knowing about, what that that might be. This is just crap. 
this is not suit this is an insult to my intelligence and once we begin to allow our being to rest and be clear and still we can start looking at our relationship to this world to the propaganda which is pumped into us day by day by the institutions there and we have enough space to reflect this is not helpful it is not contributing to ethics it's contributing to greed it's not contributing to love it's contributing to blame it's not contributing to peace of mind it's contributing to fear and anxiety it's not contributing to wisdom it's just feeding my ignorance and when you and I as people on this earth recover our being we're not going to be second hand people and renouncing the potential to live with a wise and clear mind and to be fearless with our voice because we've had enough practice and enough time in our day to day life to say no and if we want to be polite no thank you goodbye get me out of here and that may generate for us some space and sometimes in our own modest way we have to take a step mentioned to you before we have to take a, a, a risk and so when I pick up a newspaper what's happening when I pick up a newspaper what is my response is it feeding my anxiety about climate change and, and the climate emergency is it making me more ang angry because of the politics of uh, what, what's going on in the Knesset is it making more, me, me, me more, more upset and suspicious about our beloved refugees and asylum seekers and, and immigrants is it feeding the ugly part of me because if it is you've lost your soul you've sold out you've let the other exploitive corrupt manipulative of human consciousness take over our life is there any wonder there is so much anxiety about global issues is there so much worry about what's going to happen on September the 5th, 17th here in Israel so much fear about the relationship with your good neighbours, the Palestinians. Where did it all come from? Were you born thinking that way? Of course you weren't. And that willingness and that courage to step back and say, I'm going to start this life afresh. I'm going to really take care and if something is corrupting the, the, the mind something is making me more fearful worried and anxiety and anxious what is the point of continuing in the same pattern to increase the level of it this fear and blame is manipulating your vote 
not run on intelligence it's run on the manipulation this is called democracy so we want to ex explore here and we know the wonderful people around who are going much deeper than what's being expressed to us in the newspapers it's just as I'm an ex-newspaper reporter, I have a little uh, knowledge. One of the one-liners that was used in the office of the daily newspaper I worked for when I was in my 20s was, never let the truth stand in the way of a good story. It's a common statement in newspaper offices because it's the business of selling newspapers. And so sometimes we look and we say, okay, this isn't helpful. It's robbing me of my peace of mind. It's making me more upset and, and worried. Where can I find the knowledge which is inspirational, which is giving me some insight, which is encouraging me to respond? And there are some wonderful literature out there. And we need to find out who is saying what. Who is researching what? There are some wonderful academics, wonderful people in fields of knowledge who have an immense amount to contribute to us. And instead of making us more worried and anxious, such voices can help us to respond, to act, to connect, to work together. The mind is beautiful. And there's no point in talking to these researchers and academics and saying, well... You're not in touch with your feelings. You're all in your mind. What's wrong with a fine mind? They are the voices. They are the gods of the earth. They are the ones we need to listen to and, and uh, connect with and learn from and, and uh, respond to. And, and that's a quiet day-to-day, week-by-week dedication. When I was, uh, yeah, I probably mentioned this in the, in the hall over in, in the years past, <clears throat> I, 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 uh, I went to school, I do apologise, and I got, I got to the age of 15 years of age. And at that time in England, one could leave school. I went to one of these Catholics, Roman Catholic schools. Uh, my, my mother was Roman Catholic. I told her once she was more a Roman Catholic than the Pope. And, and at, the, at the age of 15 I thought this is an opportunity at last for liberation. A little one out of the system. So I came home and I said to my parents, um, at the end of this school term, I was 15, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm out. And they were, oh, shock, horror, as parents like to do. It's all theatre. And I said that um, I want to work and earn some money and uh, not, not go to school any, uh, any, uh, anymore. So... They, because it was a Catholic school run by Catholic priests, it was boarding school for some, like a prison camp, and uh, and then we met myself with the day pupils. And I still remember the priest 
coming round to the house one evening with the hope that I would change my mind. So I got banished to the kitchen. They, he and my mum and dad, stepfather, spoke in the living room and their voice said, what are we going to do with Christopher? And my mother reminded me of this years later because I had forgotten. And I shouted out, 15 years of age, to the priest, the teacher, and to my parents, I am leaving school and there is no point in discussing it because I've made my mind up. <laughs> and my mum said, they're in there, they turn, look, it's hopeless. Opened the front door for the priest, got back in his car, <laughs> went back to the school and I left. Allah is merciful. <coughs> so sometimes, I'm not saying you should all do it, but it's not a bad idea. Sometimes, even though we may not comprehend properly why we do things or what we do, but sometimes, we've touched upon this, we might need a small or major break from the old to begin something fresh, in which we can draw upon the benefits of the past and you and I have lots of benefits from the past lots of benefits from our schooling recognise the value of that and we've got this important thing enough space in our heart to know the great support that the past can give us we can know the limitations of the past, the upbringing and all the other stuff that goes with it. Because we've got the clarity to know. And drawing on what is beneficial from the past with the space allows us to explore the new. And this integration, this meeting of useful, valid past knowledge along with fresh knowledge worth meditating on being mindful on sharing together is a force to change this world years ago I, sometimes poor Dharma teachers end up with invitations and I get, was invited I can't remember what the, th the theme was, it doesn't really matter, to speak at Oxford uh, University. I'm not very impressed with universities. So. And in the middle of the talk, students and some of the faculty, whatever the theme, I've just it's gone it's ages ago, I made <laughs> a one-liner. Did it upset some of the professors? Oh dear. I said, I asked, it was a rhetorical question, is Oxford University an ego-making factory? <laughs> it didn't sit well. <laughs> the students thought it was funny. But those who had invested a career... <laughs> and a few days later, I received an invitation... I'm sorry, not an invitation... <laughs> a letter bless them, from
from one of the professors who commented Dear Mr. Titmus it went along the lines of Dear Mr. Titmus don't you realise that Oxford University is one of the four most prestigious universities in the world of course he would write that wouldn't he uh-huh. so I wrote back no <laughs> <laughs> sometimes with these small things uh, uh, of life it is to raise the question and even in the, the splendours of the university uh, world is my studies and my work in the university of genuine, real benefit to people, animals, the environment, or all three? Would I be willing to enter into a field of study where it is a real, heartfelt consideration for the welfare of this earth? Then the university is precious then it's not just about career, prestige, making a load of money and having 2.2 houses with 2.2 garages and 2.2 children and calling this life a success. We had to really, honestly, really rethink, rethink our way with the knowledge. And the retreat, as much as it is about being in the living present, which is true, it's the grounding principle there. But meditation and mindfulness in these teachings is always accompanied, without exception, to reflection. It is not at the expense of reflection. And when the Buddha speaks, he speaks of sati, mindfulness. He speaks of sampojanya, which means clear comprehension of what's happening. He speaks of samadhi, that is, single-pointed concentration on the breath, on the body, on the feelings, or whatever. And, and he speaks, he's in the same discourses, on the same themes, he speaks of vitika and vichara. And vitika is the capacity of us to apply our attention, sorry, our reflection to something and to quietly keep it there with an interest to see what responses come from it. You understand? Not just think, 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 think about. It might just be what would be supportive on this earth for me to know more about? What do I need to go more deeply into? That's, that's the vitika. It's the initial applied question. And then the vichara is the willingness to stay with that question. I'm just giving what would be worthwhile to know about, to go more deeply into. And thus, mindfulness, clear comprehension, samadhi, one-pointedness, applying one's attention to a particular and quietly keeping with it, all of that is what the teachings are about in terms of the meditative process. And it's never been a teaching of cutting off all the thoughts. 
it's saying that you and I we experience thought and some of that is really precious it's really valuable and that really then can support our process and it may be that between the initial asking of the question I've just picked out one there are thousands of them of what is really worth knowing about and going more deeply into there that the mindfulness the clear comprehension the single pointedness will contribute to keeping a certain steadiness of the mind of the being there so that we are very receptive to something which may emerge out of it always everything is the listening to the deep the deep is the liberation and it's that receptivity to the deep and some voice may come to us sometimes quite unexpectedly There is the exploration, gosh I'm just warming up and the time is flying by. <laughs> In the monastery it's sort of a bizarre way of timeless. One never, because we're, you know, we're in the West, you know, we're, we're terribly polite, exactly, but in the East they don't have this ideology of being nice and polite in the monasteries, you know, it's, it's a tough in, in environment, you know, IDF is a picnic compared to the monastery. <laughs> Not that I've been in the IDF, you can imagine. <laughs> anyway, I, I thought when I came, IDF meant Israeli Dharma force, but anyway, <laughs> apparently it doesn't. Like, it took a few years before I realised it meant something else. I was really impressed with all you 18-year-olds doing three years of Dharma service. <laughs> all right, anyway. <laughs> Look at what I was talking about now. Where was I? Oh, yes, I was in, in the monastery. So there's no politeness in the monastery. Teachers are not, not, not there to be nice. It's not, the, it's not part of the agreement. So... The evening talk would start, 365 days a, a, a year. Firstly, one never knew what time it would start. So there'd be a sitting from 7 to 8 o'clock. We didn't have these middle-class bourgeois comforts, of the, the cushions and the zabutans. The, uh, uh, the, the monks in the monastery, we were 15 hours south of Bangkok walked into a western meditation hall god a bunch of pansies pansies you know weak <laughs> pathetic it's the floor and a little mat on top and if you had done five years there you, then you were in the front rows and then you had a little square piece of carpet to sit on you were not allowed to lie and rot on your back uh, in the hall, you're not allowed in the tradition to point the feet forward uh, there, or change the posture and have your knees pointing up to the sky, etc. You, you, you sat. And not only uh, did the teacher go on and on and on, and he didn't care if we were falling, you know, sort of, uh, falling asleep and nodding off, because he knew there might be one or two still awake, and he'd just go on. Mm -hmm. 
like that. And sometimes you felt all ready for a really interesting talk, you've done your practice, a good day of practice there, really worked hard. And then after five minutes, it's, oh, it's enough for today. Oh, God. That is there. As well as the fact that the air conditioning, they never even heard of it. <laughs> no windows. So it's a wooden building. So evening time, it was feeding time for the mosquitoes as well. So not only did, did one have to deal with this ambit up the front, talking, talking, the mosquitoes, it's meal time, etc. This is life in the monastery. People say, oh, it must be nice in the monastery, you don't have to do the washing up. What? One is living in, in there with 365 days, there are about 80 monks, 80, 100 nuns, one you know it's like it's difficult living with one other human being try living with a hundred the issues that go on it's, it's something living in, the, living in these places we would have nothing to do with the subject but I'm just telling a rant Netta <laughs> <laughs> took you on a, 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 I think probably a circle walk and when I look what maybe it's right why I love coming here the gra- area like where the lo- that large lawn is, is about the same size as the one we had, very similar with trees, etc. And all the huts were in circles for the monks around there, and then the nuns had their equivalent on the other side. So all that the 80 to 100 huts, and we did the circle walking. Now, it's pretty simple circle walking. You just walk slowly and mindfully. The difficulty is that the one who walks slowest ends up at the front because he's walking slower than everybody else you know it's a practice we're supposed to be doing a practice there's nowhere to go there's no goal it's just walking find your liberation in just walking not trying to get something not trying to get somewhere just walking the tension and the stress (laughs) and the pressure of 80 to 100 months, including novices, behind this person who's taking five minutes to lift their foot up and put it down, (laughs) even though we're not going anywhere. It's a circle. And it happened a few times, including myself. God, we would sometimes walk up to the front and say, move over. (laughs) Or walk a bit faster, for God's sake. These are all tensions and stresses that seem funny now, but in the moment, small things can build. Lots of practices and small ways of letting go. It's a great practice for those of us who have to spend rather a lot of time in queues and learning to be patient out there. When it comes to the heart, very precious and obviously beautiful area of life, and in our relationship to uh, the heart. One is, as with the mind, we may look at our uh, life, our inner life and our heart, while here, and ask ourselves, when I'm sitting, what shows the love? When I'm walking down, 
walking around, doing my uh, walking uh, meditation. What shows empathy? When I'm engaged in the standing uh, meditation, what shows compassion? When I'm in the uh, reclining uh, posture, what shows the difference between life and death? When there are tears in the heart and tears are coming out of our eyes, what is it that's just touched me, that's brought such a response that the heart's moved to the eyes and to the feelings and, and to the tears? What's precious and important about shedding tears? The Buddha was asked about tears once. He said, Enough tears have been expressed on this earth to fill a great ocean. And sometimes in our, in our life I find, and perhaps you do uh, as well, that a small gesture, a small event touches us. It brings a tear to our eyes. Sometimes our heart is so, so receptive. I was just reading, just yesterday, a British newspaper with me. And you know of the terrible, terrible tragedies with the neighbours, in this case, uh, with Syria. And in one of the last areas of this horrendous and intense fighting, and the bombing still taking place, and men, women and children and the animals still uh, suffering, a newspaper reporter and the first one from the West was able to get into this town and, and some of the reporters are very, very brave and managed to find their way to the hospital. And the doctors said, with the bombing and the attacks that take place, we know all of us here will die. There's very, very little chance that we will survive this. But we are doctors. We have a duty to stay. We can't leave our people. And one wonders sometimes, where does the heart come from which has such strength and such conviction that in the midst of a horrendous civil war and supported by foreign regimes uh, there, that doctors are willing to be with their patients, facing imminent death, facing the bombing, facing the attack there, and still engage in that extraordinary responsibility of love and compassion and service, and saying to the re reporter, we know that at some point we will die. I think sometimes in our life, with our comforts and many other things, we, we, 
really need with our heart to hear the voices of others to read about them to help us with the inspiration and the courage to look into our own heart and say well if they can do that what can I offer I may not be so brave as those remarkable Syrian doctors but maybe I can expand my heart a bit further than its usual um, boundaries the usual limits that we uh, set ourselves and as I say all of that is part of mindfulness clear comprehension single pointedness applied attention and reflection part of the process which, uh, uh, which goes on in the day here with the touch on the feelings that uh, has been um, mentioned to you it's very e- easy and understandable while we are offering the methods and the techniques and uh, the practices and the forms but it is important to remember that these are our servants not our masters and what I mean by that they act as possibly a quiet support for us it's like a structure of a building really you know, you, you're helping to build uh, that. we're helping develop the heart and mind here and with that development in this case with the heart there to really find moments and recognise and be clear about those moments when the heart is present and to stop and let that heart feeling whatever that might be really to feel close to this experience of the heart we, we, we are in danger and I call it a danger we are in danger with all the information of our lives becoming almost zombie-like through being out of touch and the consequences of that we are in danger of our heart drying up and when the heart dries up very cold, hard, merciless decisions can be made because the heart isn't present about anything and we use the rationalisation because we have divorced the heart from reality and the heart plays a precious and beautiful and indispensable feature of reality it is not to be reduced it is not to be cut out it is not to be minimised and we wish to acknowledge that and recognise that in our sitting, in our walking, in our standing, in our communications uh, with each other, in what we write, in what we say, and what we do. Ask yourself, is the heart of love here? Is this, are these the expressions of kindness? Can we be fearless, but there's kindness with the fearlessness? And if we remember regularly through the day here, and sometimes it's just gratitude for the immense support that the, the staff, who I call our guardian angels, 
who uh, make everything before and while we're here and after to make these events uh, uh, happen. Sometimes appreciation comes. This is the heart. There's uh, the, the, the gratitude. There's an exchange of smiles of, of the eyes between two people there. That, that's love. There is the recognition of beauty, beautiful women and men around, the beauty in the flowers and the trees and the birds and the animals and so forth. Beauty is the confirmation of love there. There's the artistic expressions in the, in the, in the nature in all manner of, of, of ways. We need to recognise all of this because it's nourishing the heart and that nourishment of the heart with knowledge, with knowing what is proper, makes us the best human being we can be. And this is the power that's going to change this earth. We are here for liberation. And what is liberation? It is the liberation of the heart to respond. It is the liberation of the mind to respond. Thank you for lending an ear. Let's have a quiet moment, shall we? May all beings go deep into the human experience. May all beings abide with a truly expansive heart. May all beings dwell with a mind which knows what is significant. 